Are you ready for the word? All right. So, uh, we're about to endure sound doctrine. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Say this with me. My heart is open. My heart is open to receive God's word. I hear and I receive. The revelation of Jesus. And I see myself in him. Amen. Second Corinthians 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 17. Let's read from verse 14. For the love of Christ constrained us... Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we are we are all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto them which died for them, and rose again. Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, what I want you to notice very quickly is, now I should just say that um, throughout this session, you are the one that will determine my sermon topic. Praise God. So just, so probably you let me know. <laughs> but what we want to learn is Jesus. Praise God. <laughs> all right. So what I want you to see is in verse 16. He says, Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. So Paul writes to the Corinthian church and says, We will no longer know man after the flesh. Right? That's what he says. Then he goes further to say, that we would also not know Christ, right, after the flesh. Now, what that means is that we would not know Jesus or humanity from a natural standpoint. That's what that means. We would not know Jesus or humanity from a natural standpoint. That is, I can't know myself, for example, by where I was born, right? I can't know myself, right, by the kind of family I am. No. The Bible cancels who I am from my natural standpoint and puts it on a spiritual reality. Are you following? It puts it on a spiritual reality. That means also so, Paul extends that fact and says, even Jesus Christ, you would not know him, right, after the flesh. That is, you will not come to know the Son of God. You will not come to know the Son of God by looking at him that he is just a Jew. His father is Joseph. 
Say, no, you're not going to know Jesus like that. But you will know him from a spiritual standpoint. Are you following? Now, Jesus will say exactly the same thing that Paul is saying here. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16. Verse 13. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, we're going to talk about that. You know, Pastor Marcus was telling us about uh, geographical location. You'll find out why Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi. You see, it's very important here. You see, so he says, and when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? Right? Then he says, and he said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elijah, other Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said unto them, but whom say he that I am? So he asked his associates, right? He asked his guys, so who do you think I am, right? Then Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, right? So Simon says, you are the Christ. The son of the living God. That's where we're going to stay a bit for now, a bit of time today. Now, what I want you to understand is that Peter's confession, right? This confession of Peter is so important to what Jesus will begin to explain from here. This statement by Peter is a statement from the scriptures. Now, I believe everybody know, yeah, ideally, when we say scriptures, we are referring to where? The Old Testament, right? Now, for the purpose of this meeting, I don't want you to call it Old Testament again. Okay? Call it Genesis to Malachi. Why? Because there's no such thing, right, as Old Testament. You see, what is there? No. No prophet called their writing Old Testament. Are you with me? The idea of Old Testament and New Testament was imputed by later translators. That divide that you have in your Bible, New Testament, Old Testament, no. It's not, it's not there originally in scriptures. Are you following? Huh? So, now, is there a practice called Old Testament? Yes. Okay? But the books... Right? And not Old Testament. You will see it as we go on. So the point is, the statement that Peter made here is from the scriptures. Now, now, this means that at this point in time, at this point in time, the Bible that they had, right? The Bible that Jesus had, the apostles had, or the disciples for now had, was the Old Testament text, Genesis to Malachi, right? That's the Bible they had. So, now, you would also note this if you read Luke chapter 24. Go to Luke 24. Let's just see that very quickly. You will see that in Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, verse 25. He says, then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe 
all that the prophet have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them the things concerning himself. That means that Jesus' textbook, huh? Jesus' textbook, right, is Genesis to Malachi. He taught from there. Are you following? Jesus' textbook is Genesis to Malachi. Now, that means that Jesus never, Jesus never taught from the epistles of Paul because they were not written then, right? Jesus never taught from the epistles of Peter, right? Jesus never taught from the epistles of John either. Now, now another thing you must know is that Jesus also did not make a single reference to the synoptic. That is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Right? There is no reference of Jesus saying, I'm teaching from ye. Why? They were not in existence. So that means that the only material, right? The only material of Jesus' theology, right, is Genesis to where? To Malachi. Isn't it? Are you following? This is very important. So, now, I hope you're seeing in Luke 24, right? Now, I want us to see something in Luke 24. So, uh, I want us to see something in Luke 24. <clears throat> now, now, we're going to read two places in Luke 24, yeah. And I'm going to show you a slight difference, two places in Luke 24. And I'm going to show you a slight difference in what Jesus says here and says in another place. Now, so let's read verse 25 again. Let's read verse 25. He says, and he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophet have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now go to verse 44. Go to verse 44. In verse 44, he says, And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Please ensure you're looking at your Bible and not the screen. It's very important. So, now, what I want you to notice, the first difference is this. What I want you to notice is that the first difference is that in 24 to 27, right, what was mentioned was beginning at Moses. That's the first difference. Now, in verse 44, what was mentioned is the law of Moses, right? You see the law of Moses in verse 44. Now, the, how you will be able to know this difference is that you have to read the scriptures. The scriptures must be read in a conversational manner. For example, in Luke 24, verse 25, right? What were they discussing when Jesus met Cleophas and his wife? They were discussing, if you read from verse 18, they were discussing about the fact that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they've killed a person who they thought 
was going to be their political messiah. Right? So they were saying, ah, this person, and Jesus met them on the road to Emmaus, and then he said, what manner of things that are you discussing? Then he said, hey, Jesus, are you JJC? Where, do you, where are you coming from? Don't you know what is going on? So they began to tell him about this person, not knowing that that was him. Then Jesus now says, they are what? They are foolish. Now, foolish in their understanding of scriptures. You understand? Because, so Jesus now begins to correct them. Right? He begins to tell them what the scripture speaks of, of the Messiah. Are you following? Now, but in verse 44, the conversation is a bit different. Different. They had come to tell them, these guys, that Jesus Christ, they've seen the Lord. Right? They have come to tell them that, ah, Jesus has appeared. Then Jesus now says something very, very significant in that verse 44. Notice in verse 44, he says, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was with you. So, write this down. Verse 25 and to verse 27 is specific about his death and his resurrection. Verse 25 to 27 is specific about his death and his resurrection. But verse 44 is wider. In what sense? In the sense that while Jesus was alive, he spoke these words to them. Are you following, guys? Right? So he said it to them. The word, the word, Words there in verse 44, that word words in verse 44 is the word logos. Logos. L-O-G-O-S in the Greek. Logos. When he says these are the words. So that word there is logos. Now what that word means is that it means an idea. An idea. Logos means an idea. A subject matter. An idea. A subject matter. The, my thoughts. My thoughts. So which means that when Jesus said, these are the words that I said unto you, he's saying, my subject matter, when I was teaching you, is this. Are you following? I said these words to you while I was with you physically. Are you following? Okay. So, now, now, in verse 44, again, I told you that the, another difference is that Jesus added law of Moses. Now, we have made a mistake, oftentimes, that when we hear the law of Moses, right, immediately we are thinking it is legalism. But that's not true. It's not true. When we hear law of Moses... It does not mean legalism. Not all the time. Are you with me, guys? So, because the word law, the word law in the Greek is the word nomos. N-O-M-O-S. And what nomos means, what nomos means is that nomos means instruction. It also means revelation. 
It also means doctrine. It means doctrine. So, so sometimes you hear Christians say, some Christians say, oh, I'm not under the law, you know, and things like that. It's, it's, it's misplaced when, you, when a Christian says, we are not under the law. You have to ask, what are you talking about? What law? Are you following? Okay. So, because when we say the law, ideally, we are talking about Genesis to Deuteronomy, the five books of Moses. What Moses wrote, right? What Moses wrote. So, if you say you are not under the law, right, you are probably saying that the Old Testament, generally, Genesis to Malachi, is not your business. But that's a big error. That's a big error. So, the law of Moses means the doctrine or the writings of Moses. The law of Moses means the doctrine or the writings of Moses. Now, please stay with me. I'm sure you're wondering, how do we move from who do men say that I am to this place? Don't worry, you'll find out soon. John chapter 5. Go there. John chapter 5. John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees here. He's talking to the Pharisees. Verse 39. He says, search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. And you will not come to me that you might have life. Now when Jesus says, search the scriptures. Right? He is referring again to Genesis to Malachi, right? That's what he's referring to. The word scriptures in verse 39 is referred to a written document. That's what scripture is. Scripture means a written document. A written document. Now, quickly go to verse 45. Go to verse 45. He says, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father there is one that accuses you, even Moses, in whom you trust. Now, some folks who have misinterpreted this to say that it is Moses who accused, Jesus does not accuse. That's not true. Are you following? That's not true. Because he says, there's one that accuses you, even Moses, in whom you trust. But that's not what he's talking about. You must understand that Jesus refers to Moses in Luke 24 as the scriptures. Jesus refers to Moses' documents, right, as inspired of God, right? Are you following? Okay. So, that means that when Jesus says, and beginning at Moses, that statement means, that statement means that Jesus gives authority to Moses' writing. Are you following? He says, Moses' writing is true. So to say that, to say that we don't need Moses is to deny the authority that God has given Moses. Are you following? Okay. That's very important. Now, the word in verse 45 where he says, Accusant, that word, 
is used in Revelation 12. Please pay attention. Largely what we'll be doing here in this teaching, we'll be interpreting a lot of text. So I want you to follow. Now, so in verse 45, where it says, even Moses, the word accused there was used in Revelation chapter 12. Go there very quickly. Revelation chapter 12. I hope you are following me. I've not said anything strange, right? Good. Let's just let's follow. Revelation chapter 12. The word accused. Revelation 12, verse 10. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. He says, And I heard a loud voice saying, In heaven, now is come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of the testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. Now, I want you to see that the word accused here is used for Satan. Right? Is used for Satan. Now, the word accused, accused, to be accused, means to bring a charge against someone. That's the word accused. It means to bring a charge against someone. So go back to John. Please Follow me. Go back to John chapter 5. What does accuse mean? It means what? To bring a charge, right? Against somebody, isn't it? So now in John 5, in John chapter 5, it's very important. Some people are just, I mean, they're looking at me. Please don't look at me. It's good to have, a, um, what's it called now? A notepad and your Bible. Huh? A notepad and your Bible. This is very important. I think they announced that several times. No? Please. You know, it's part of enduring sound doctrine. You understand? If I'm too fast too, it's also part of enduring that. You understand? So look at John 5. Sorry. John chapter 5. So now in John 5, we will ask the question, what charge, right, did Moses bring against these people? Right? What charge the Moses bring against these people? Also, it will not be accurate to say that since we saw that the word accused is used for Satan, in John chapter 5, verse 45, it is Satan that they are referring to, that Jesus is referring to. Not true. Are you following? Okay. So, <clears throat> now, the reason why that will not be accurate, let's go into specifics. The word Satan, the word Satan itself, that word Satan itself, in biblical language, right, is not used as a noun. What does that mean? That is, Satan in biblical text did not refer to a being. I will show you. Don't worry. You'll see it now. Satan. Do you know that it was used for God? I didn't say God is Satan. No. But we're going to see it. So, Satan in the Bible is not a proper name. It's not a proper name. It is a description. It is a description. In the Old Testament... It means to withstand. Look at Numbers chapter 22. 
Numbers, go there. Numbers chapter 22. Numbers 22. Numbers 22. Verse 22. Numbers chapter 22, verse 22. He says, and God's anger was kindled because, Numbers chapter 22, verse 22. And God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against him. So, who is Satan here? Huh? The angel of the Lord, God. So, he's describing, he says he stood as an adversary against him. Now, look at verse 32 of that same scripture. He says, and the angel of the Lord said unto him, Wherefore, as thou smitten thy house three times, Behold, three times, behold, I went out to withstand thee. The word withstand is the word Satan in the Hebrew. Eh? So the angel of the Lord was a Satan. Are you following? Are you following what I'm saying? Okay. So, so the angel of the Lord was an adversary. He was an opponent. Are you following? He was an adversary. He was an opponent. Look at First Kings. Let's see. Some text of that again. First Kings chapter 5. Quickly now. First Kings chapter 5. First Kings chapter 5. First Kings chapter 5. Verse 4. He says, Be, He says, But now the Lord my God had given me rest on every side. So that there is neither an There's something like that that happened also in Matthew 16, where we just read. Jesus told, Jesus said, we're not going to read it because of time. Jesus said, oh, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to, you know, die and things like that. Then Peter said, never. Lord, you're not going to die. So, you know, then Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus rebuked him and said, 
get deep behind me, Satan. It does not mean that Satan now entered into Peter. No. What Peter said was an opposition to the plan of God. Are you getting it? So Jesus attacked the action, not that um, Peter was possessed. Are you following? Okay. So, so again, Satan means someone who opposes what you are doing. Satan means someone who opposes what you are doing. Let's see more of this in the epistles. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to explain this one for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. So, something, something happened in the Corinthian church. A brother, right, slept with his father's wife. Right? And Paul was mad. He was very angry. Ah! What's wrong with you guys? Huh? These texts, those who don't believe in eternal salvation, they use it a lot. Let's see what Paul did. Told them that that brother is a Christian. Deliver him to Satan. So it's impossible that somebody can be eternally saved. But that's not what is going on. Okay? Let's look at it. First Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. I'm sorry, I really don't know how to use this very well. So I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to learn. I'm sorry. <laughs> so please forgive me. First Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. So my voice is going up and down. I can I can sense it myself. First Corinthians chapter 5. It says, it is reportedly common that there is fornication among you and such fornication as is not, as is not so much named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. He says, and you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that had done this deed might be taken away from among you. Now, look at verse... Um, Okay, let's just read it. Verse 5. Let's, let's read verse 5. He says, he says, to deliver such a one unto what? Satan, right? For the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So, when Paul says, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, it does not mean that let the devil deal with him. It's not possible. It's not true. It doesn't mean that I want you to hand him over to Satan so that Satan will deal with him. No. Right? Let me tell you here. Satan here is the church. Satan, in this first Corinthians 5, is the church. Remember, Satan is not a proper name. So don't let your mind quickly go to that spirit. Stay within the context. Okay? Satan here is the church. Are you following? Now, so, wh why? How is Satan the church? Paul is saying that, let the church oppose that brother. Now, okay, let's, let's see. Look at, the, look at verse, verse, verse 11. Verse 11. He says, But now I have written unto you, not to keep company, if any man is, that is called a brother, be a what? A fornicator, a covetous, an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard. He says, or an extortioner. With such a one, no one to what? To eat. That is 
deliver him to Satan. Paul is saying, don't stay with him. Don't sit down with him. Say, yeah, is, it, is it not too much? No. Paul wants that brother to learn that his actions are wrong. So Paul says, do not keep company with a brother, that's a Christian, who he has done something wrong. Are you following? So the church was meant to oppose the brother. That is what? Satan. Amen? Okay. So, so the way they will oppose him is that they will withdraw from him, right? They will withdraw from him. They will not eat with him. That's how they will oppose the brother. First Timothy. Quickly, we're looking at that. First Timothy. First Timothy chapter 1. <clears throat> First Timothy chapter 1. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 22. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 22. He says, I have delivered them to Satan, so they would learn not to what? To blaspheme. So Paul is saying that, I have separated from them. I've opposed them. Talking about certain brothers in the church. Amen? So that they will learn not to blaspheme. So he's saying, I have asked them to be opposed, so they will learn. So, the word Satan, in those two places we just read, 1 Corinthians 5 and 1 Timothy now, right, is used so that the person would what? Would learn. Right? He would learn from his errors. So, how are we going to make the person learn from his error? We'll do what? We oppose him. Eh? We oppose him, bro. That thing that you did is not good. It's not good. When everybody is eating, love feast, you tell him to sit here. Everybody, all of us will be eating here. We're looking at him, it's not good too. So, that is, so that he will learn. You say, ah! Oh! But any brother that they do that for, and he still doing like that, we should know that it's not born again. Amen? You say, ah, it's not too much. Go and read Matthew 18. You see it here. Jesus says, if you have got to meet a brother, and you beg him, beg him, beg him, not here. See, consider him a what? A reprobate. <coughs> okay. <coughs> So, that would mean that accusation, please write this down, that would mean that accusation does not need to be devilish. Accusation does not need to be devilish. I mean, what we just read, 1 Corinthians 5, what they did, is it devilish? No. So, back to John 5. See, ah, so we went on that part to just, yes. Bible interpretation. Amen? John chapter 5. Go back to John 5. John chapter 5. Verse 45. Do not think that I will accuse you that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuses you even Moses in whom you trust. Now, so when he says that Moses does this accusation. He's saying that Moses is opposing you, right? He's opposing you. So he's opposing you, right, towards an action. That means there's something that they did that Moses now opposes them. Are you following? Now, this opposition of Moses, is it devilish? No, it's not. 
Okay? It is not negative. So, John chapter 5, verse 45. Jesus is not undermining Moses' writing. Jesus and Moses are not fighting. Are you following? That sister, you are sleeping. Sit up. I don't want to look at you, but you are in that side. So sit up. So nobody will look at you. Don't sleep. Don't sleep. Amen? Praise God. So, that was an opposition. Okay. <laughs> so, Jesus, in John chapter 5, verse 45, is not disreputing the ministry of Moses. He's not. Rather, you will see that Jesus is giving credit to Moses' writing. So, what charge what charge did Moses bring against these people? What charge? What charge? The quick answer to that is that Moses accused them because of unbelief. Are you following? Moses accused them because of unbelief. These people were in unbelief. Look at verse 46 of that John 5. Verse 46 of John 5. He says, For had he what believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. Verse 46 means that Jesus equates his ministry to that of Moses. He equates it. He says it's the same thing. So, if Jesus equates his ministry to that of Moses, in other words, Jesus is saying, I also accuse you. So Jesus accuses. Amen. Oh, we are on that grace. We are not. Jesus accuses. He accuses. Yes, he does. He will oppose you. Ah, he did it. In Luke, if you read Mark chapter 16, the Bible says he rebuked his disciples of their unbelief. Are you following? Okay. So, so Jesus accuses also. And he's in this text in John chapter 5, Jesus is accusing them of unbelief too, right? So, so that means the accusation of Moses in verse 45 is unbelief. The accusation of Moses in verse 45 is unbelief. Let's see an example. Matthew 19. Please go there. Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. So, what happened here is that the Pharisees came again to meet Jesus and asked them about, largely necessary about marriage and divorce. Now, look at what Jesus says. Oh, let's read it. Because let's just read it. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and, and shall cleave to his wife, and they sh the twine shall be one flesh. Wherefore, 
they are no more twine, but one flesh. What therefore God had joined together, let no man put asunder. It's not necessarily talking about marriage anyway, but that's, there's no time for that. So, <clears throat> now verse 8. He said unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning, it was not what? It was not so. So, Jesus re-echoes what Moses has said and says that the reason why, right, Moses gave you that writing to divorce your wife is because you were in what? Unbelief. That means that ideally, God does not support divorce. Are you following? So, but the reason for divorce was because the people he was communicating to had hardness of heart. They were in unbelief. They were difficult and stubborn men. That's what, what it means. Okay. So, <clears throat> so, <clears throat> back to John 5. John chapter 5, verse 45. Let's read 47 now, 47. We've read 45 now. It says, but if you believe not his writings, how shall you believe my words? If you believe not his writings, how shall you, how shall he believe my words? What that means, the word writings there in 47 is the word grammar in the Greek. G-R-A-M-M-A. G-R-A-W-M-A, grammar. And what it means, it means content of the writings. Content. Content of the writing. So Jesus is saying, if you believe not the content of the writings, how shall ye believe my own speech? How will you believe my own speech? My own words. That means Jesus validates Moses' writings. Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying the foundation of his teachings is in the writings of Moses. The foundations of his teaching is in the writings of Moses. So far, Jesus Christ has not mentioned or referenced any book in the New Testament, what we call the New Testament. He has not referenced the book of Acts. He has not referenced Mark or Matthew. He's staying with the what? With the scriptures. Are you following? Genesis to Malachi. So. Now. Now, remember, I, ju I just said that the law of Moses, what is called the law of Moses, does not necessarily mean legalism. It means Moses' revelation or Moses' doctrine. Okay? That's what it means. So, so, guess what? If you were in Jesus' church, right? If you were in Jesus' church, what book are you going to have? Genesis to Malachi, right? That's the book you're going to have. Genesis to Malachi. You will have that book. This is so important. That means everything that Jesus will be saying is that it will be teaching from that material. That means, this is where I'm going, we cannot understand Peter's statement where he says, 
Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God from Matthew. You can't. Because that statement is embedded in Genesis to Malachi. Are you following? Jesus himself, right, will not rely on any New Testament writers. He will rely on the prophets. Are you with me? So if we want to understand what Jesus is teaching, right? We don't run to the epistles, right? We don't run to the epistles. Where do we go first? The books of the Old Testament. Are you following? Okay. So, so Jesus tells us, listen, Jesus tells us, if you want to interpret my words, what I am saying, where you should first go to, is Genesis to Malachi. That's the first place to go to. Amen? Okay. Okay. So, okay, let's, let's go. Now, go, to back, go back to Luke 24. In Luke 24, in verse 44, I, just, I want to ask you a question here. I hope, hope you, have, you, have, you have been following me. In verse 44, when he says, And he said unto them, These are the words which I spoke unto you while I was yet with you. That, what is the timeline of that verse 44? Huh? If you want to put it in scripture, where are you going to put that timeline? If you want to look at it from the books of, of the Bible. Exactly. Thank you, sir. The four Gospels. Right? So, now, listen. So, he goes on to say, while I was here with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophet and in the Psalms concerning me. So, that means that Jesus says, the interpretation of the four Gospels lies in the Old Testament. That's where I, that's what I want to show you. What I said to you while I was here with you, the interpretation of it, the meaning of those things that I'm saying to you, you will find the meanings in the Old Testament books. Are you with me? We're going to Matthew 16. So, so, so the contents, the contents, the explanations of Jesus I'm going to find it in the message of the prophets. Right? That's where I will see it. Do you know that this will be the same thing or the same approach of the apostles? Right? That means the apostles' messages or the apostles' content, they are not found also in their epistles. Because at that time, None of their epistles were even written. So that means the material they were using in Thessalonica, right, was Genesis to Malachi. Are you following? That's the material. Okay. So. So, what Jesus does, please listen, what Jesus does in Luke 24, where we just read, is that 
Jesus begins to lift a veil in their minds. Right? A veil in their minds to understand the Old Testament. So, write this down. True Bible study. True Bible study finds the teaching ministry of Jesus explained from the Old Testament books. I'll say it again. True Bible study finds the teaching ministry of Jesus explained from the Old Testament books. So we must never shy away from Genesis to Malachi. Are you following? You must, we must never shy away. Because that is Jesus' textbook. The things that he did, praise God, the things that he did, the things that he explained are found in the Old Testament books. So let's ask this question. What is your first place of interpreting what Jesus said? Where's your first place? Genesis to Malachi. Thank you very much. So back to Matthew 16. Now back to Matthew 16. Did you, did you enjoy that introduction? Okay. So nobody in this church should say we are not under the law. You are technically under the law. You see, hmm, which one is that? The revelation of Moses. <laughs> are you there? It's important to because the things we are going to say in this conference, please don't work out. <laughs> no, say I've known him, that pastor, since he came last year, saying nonsense things. Please. Receive me with meekness. <laughs> okay, Matthew 16. So when Jesus says in verse 15, Whom say he that I am? When Jesus said that statement, where do you think his disciples' mind will go to? The Old Testament. They know that Master Jesus is about to start teaching something. See, um, let me say this to you guys. There's something that Pastor Marcus said that is so important that even myself, when I, when I was studying, I, I, I could not believe the deliberateness of Jesus. You see, every place Jesus visited, right? Every place Jesus visited has prophetic implications. Every place, including Syria. Every place. That is that, that's to show you how geography is so important to theology. Amen? I'm not saying you should visit there now. <laughs> there's, no, there's nothing there now. Jesus has <laughs> raised from the dead. Okay. So, the, the minds of the disciples, right, will go to the Old Testament. Jesus is about to teach. Okay. So, if you are in that class, right, the, where you flip your, your Bible to is that you will start Jesus will start from Genesis. You know that's what he did in Luke 24. Beginning at Moses. Right? Okay. So, verse 16. Peter says, in Matthew 16. Verse 16 says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Will Peter be speaking from Jesus' textbook? Huh? The answer is yes. Right? So, that statement, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's not that when Jesus asked it, everyone was not quiet. Then something just moved Peter. You are the Christ. No, it's not like that. 
You know, it's not like that. Peter was able to say such a thing because he's a student of the Lord, of the scriptures. Are you following? So he knows. Are you following? Okay. So, now there's a parallel of this conversation in the Old Testament. I want to show you something very parallel for, of it. Remember the question is that, who do men say that I am? Somebody has asked this kind of question in the Old Testament. Look at Exodus. Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. So in Exodus 3, God intends to send Moses to Egypt, right? To deliver the children of Israelites. So Moses now asks this question in verse 13, Exodus 3. He says, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and say and shall say unto them, The God of your father has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? Who do men say that I am? Is that, is that not parallel? Does that not appear parallel? Okay, he says, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said, but 14, unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, I am as sent me unto you. Now, this phrase, I am that I am, or and, and I am, this phrase, these two phrases, in the original Hebrew, right, there is a slight variation of what it means. I am that I am, and I am. A slight variation of it. We're going to examine it maybe later, tomorrow, later today. I'll tell you what that means. But it's a parallel. That's what I want to show you. It's a parallel to Jesus asking his disciples who I am or who am I. Are you following? Huh? Okay. So remember, please remember, Peter is speaking from Genesis, sorry, Peter is speaking from Jesus' textbook, right? So Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Then in verse 17, what does Jesus do? Jesus calls, please listen, in verse 17 of Matthew 16, Jesus calls what Peter said, a revelation revealed by the Father. Now, if this is a revelation revealed by the Father, where is that revelation found? Genesis to Malachi, the scriptures. So, so it is an error for us to say that the epistles are revelations. Huh? No. They are revelations. So also is the text of the Old Testament. Are you following? They are revelatory too. Amen? Okay. So Jesus calls what Peter says the revelation of the scriptures. So, now, please listen. So, where am I going to, where am I going to learn Christ? Where? Old Testament. I will not 
run. Because, you know, if we run to the epistles eh, and to the four gospels to learn Christ, we are not good students. Because we are trying to put ourselves, listen now, we are trying to put ourselves in the same audience of the disciples. Amen? Okay. So, let us learn the word Christ. So, knowing Jesus, please, please write this down. You know, we, we, we say, I want to know him. I want to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus. I want to know God, right? But knowing him, right, is beyond an experiential, it's beyond experience. The way we know the, the Lord is from the study of the scriptures. So how will I know Christ if I don't study? I'm knowing Christ from the study of the scriptures. Amen? Okay. So. So that means that the word Christ, please, please follow me. The word Christ would have been used adopted for teaching by the Old Testament prophets. Right? Okay. So, for us to understand, right, for us to understand the significance, for us to understand the significance of what Jesus explains to Peter and what Peter said, our Bible study must begin from the prophetic writings. Our Bible study must begin from the prophetic writings. Let's quickly establish what the word Christ means in the Greek. Remember, Peter says, you are the Christ, right? So let's find out. Let's see what that means. The word Christ in the Greek is the word Christus. And it means anointed. Somebody's anointed here, right? Somebody's name is anointed here. It says is what it means anointed or it means the Messiah. It means the Messiah. Now, before we go into the prophetic writings, go to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew has, has used that word. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 says, I hope you're there. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the son of Abraham. The word generation in Matthew chapter 1 verse 1 is the word genosis. Genosis. Genosis is G-E-N-E-S-E-O-S. G-E-N-E-S-E-O-S. It's the word genesis. Huh? That word beginning, or sorry, the word generation there is the word genesis. Huh? That means it is the same word in Genesis, the book of Genesis, the same word, right? Okay. So, in other words, we can say Matthew chapter 1 is the book of the Genesis of Jesus Christ, right? We can say it like that. So, Matthew tells us that Jesus Christ is the son of David and the son of Abraham, right? Son of David, son of Abraham. 
Now, look at verse 16. Of my, um, okay, yeah, verse 16. He says, And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David on to carrying away from into Babylon, the 14 generations. And from the carrying away into Babylon onto Christ are 14 generations. So he tells us three things. Firstly, okay, no, verse 18. Let's see verse 18. He says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother, Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. So, what have we seen about this word Christ? The first thing we see is that number one is the son of Abraham. Number two is the son of David. Number three is called the Christ. Right? Number four is called the child of the Holy Ghost. So, this is what it is in the synoptic. Number one, son of Abraham. Number two, son of David. Number three, the Christ. Number four, the child of the Holy Ghost. Now, all this is not contradictory. Right? It's not contradictory. It's just an explanation. It's just an explanation. Now, there are two personalities that comes out. Two personalities that comes out in knowing about Christ. The first personality is Abraham and David. Right? Is Abraham and David. So, what is unique about Abraham and David? Genesis 12. We are going to the prophetic writings now. Genesis 12. I want you to follow. We want to find Christ. Genesis chapter 12. Verse 2. He says, And I will make thee, Genesis 12, verse 2, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Verse 3. And I will bless thee, and curse him that cursed thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Right? And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Verse 5. Now, Genesis 15. Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. Verse 5. Genesis chapter 15, verse 5. He says, he's talking to Abraham still. He says, and he brought him forth abroad and said, look now towards heaven and tell the stars. If thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. So shall thy seed be. Genesis 17. Genesis 17. Quickly now. Verse 6. Genesis 17 verse 6. And I will make thee exceedingly fruitful. And I will make nations of thee. And kings shall come out of thee. Very important. Kings shall come out of thee. Genesis 18. Genesis 18. Do you notice for everything we are reading. We are seeing Seed, seed, blessing, seed, blessing, right? Okay, now, Genesis 18, Genesis 18, verse 18. Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. 
Let's go to David. Second Samuel. Let's go to David. Second Samuel. Second Samuel. Are you there? Are you there? Huh? Are you tired? You're not answering. Are you there? All right. Second Samuel chapter 7. Second Samuel chapter 7. And when the days be fulfilled, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers. I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels. And I will establish his what? His kingdom. Verse 13. It says, and he shall build an house for my name. And I will establish his throne of his kingdom forever. Amen? So, we have, we have two persons. And what we have been told about these two persons is that they will have a seed. Right? They will have a seed. And there will, there, there will be a covenant that he would make with them. Are you following? So number one, God says they will have a seed. Number two, there's a covenant that is forever. Right? Number three, he says there is a kingdom that will be for what? Forever. In this seed. Are you following? Okay. Now, the word seed in the Hebrew, the word seed in the Hebrew is the word zera. Z-E-R-A. Z-E-R-A. And it is used for children or a child. Remember, Matthew 1 verse 16 tells us that Jesus Christ is the son of Abraham and David. Huh? Now, now, do you quickly see why Jesus Christ is the son of Abraham and David from what we just read? What's that? Huh? The seed why, will have an everlasting kingdom. Right? The seed will have an everlasting kingdom or an everlasting covenant. So what we see, this is very crucial to our study. What we see is that the seed of Abraham and David, there will be an everlasting covenant and an everlasting kingdom. Another important thing is that this seed will build an house. Will build an house. Now, what is the word Christ in the Greek? We said the word Christ in the Greek means anointed, right? Or Messiah. So, let us pinpoint that in the prophetic writings. Genesis 28. Genesis chapter 28. Genesis 20, verse 13. Jacob is the one year, and he had a dream. And in the dream, Jacob saw angels ascending and descending in that dream. Now look at verse 13. He says, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham. Thy father. This is the dream. He says, and the God of Isaac, the land wherein thou liest, to thee will I give it unto thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth. 
And thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. He says, and behold, I am with thee and I will keep thee in all places where thou goest. And I will bring thee again into this land for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken. And Jacob, and Jacob walked out of, walked, waked out of his sleep, sleep and said, surely. The Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place? This is no other place but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Notice that after his dream, he said, The Lord is in this place. Right? Now, he now calls that place, he calls it, the house of God, the gate of heaven. The word house, the word house is the word beit in the Hebrew. Now, this is where, if you were sleeping before, please just shake off the sleep. Yeah, I want you to pay attention here now. Don't sleep again. Now, the word house in the Hebrew is the word beit. B-A-Y-I-T-H, beit. It is, it is used for a place. That what it is used for a place or where a family are. Beit is used for a place or where a family are. Other places where it was used is Genesis twelve seventeen. Now, so other places where it was used is Genesis 12, 17. In Genesis 12, 17, house, you will see that, we're not going to read it because of time, but house refers to family in Genesis 12, 17. Family. In Genesis 14, verse 14, let's look at that one. Genesis 14, 14. Let's look at that one. Same word, be it. Genesis chapter 14, verse 14. He says, and when Abraham heard that is, it doesn't look like what it is in my Bible, so let me look at my Bible. Genesis 14, 14. He says, and when Abraham heard that his brother was taken captive, he harmed his strange servant, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. So he says, born in his way. In his own house. That word refers to family members. Family members. Household. An household. An household. So, we can say, we can say that when Jacob said, this is the house of God, we can change it to say, this is the family of God. Right? is not also a representation of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen? 
I remember uh, a story of a church, a ministry. The pastor told them that they should bring um, an handkerchief. This handkerchief will represent the Holy Spirit. That anything they are going to do in their life, that if, if they are going for a business contract, they are going for anything, they should just wrap it on their face that they will be favored and things like that. So one of the church members now went for a job interview and sat down before the interviewer. So before the interviewer started asking questions, the man brought the handkerchief and rubbed his face. That's how the interviewer too brought his own handkerchief and rubbed his face. <laughs> we came from the same church. <laughs> so the question will be, who we are favor who? <laughs> Amen. We don't believe in symbols. Praise God. <laughs> okay, let's just go on. So, now, so, the concept of oil did not come from God. Now, it's just important for the, for the concept of walking in love with other brethren, right, who sort of adopt such practices. It's important for us to know that we can't necessarily say it is sinful. Very important. But, it does not give a perfect picture of who God is. Very, very important. I want you to know the difference here. You understand? Okay. So, the point is, God adopted that practice. Now, Genesis. So, notice that in Genesis 28, where, where we're reading now. In Genesis 28. Let's, let's go back there. There's something I want, I want you to see in Genesis 28 again. In verse 19. He says, and he called the name of that place, what? Bethel. Now, what does Bethel mean? Again, Bethel means house of God. So, the place he anointed, he calls it what? The house of God, right? The place he anointed, he called it what? The house of God. Now, the word, the Hebrew word, the Hebrew word, of the word he poured oil, right? That Hebrew word of the word he poured oil is the verb of the word anointing. Right? That's the verb. When he says he poured oil, you know, that's an action word now. Right? So that's why he says it's a verb. It's the verb of the word anointing, right? Now I want you to note that. Now in Genesis 31, now go to Genesis 31 and let us see something in Genesis 31. Genesis chapter 31, verse 12. Genesis 31, verse 12. Let's read from verse 11. And the angel of God spake unto me in a dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, Yea, am I. And he said, Lift up now thy eyes, and see all the rams which leap upon the cattles, and ring street, speakwood and greaves. For I have seen all that Laban doeth unto thee. Pay attention to verse 13 now. He says, I am the what? Uh-huh. God has adopted it. That's what I want to show you. God has what? Adopted it. What happened in Genesis 28? God has adopted it. Are you following? So he says, I am the God of better, where thou anointed, the pillar, where thou vowest a vow unto me. So, who first anointed in the Bible? Jacob. So, the concept of anointing with oil 
is a human practice. It's a human practice. It doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong or it's sinful. It's just a human practice. Okay? A human culture. Now, why is it done? We answered that it is to show that a place is sacred. Right? It's a special place to be treated with reverence. That's why it is done. Now, the genesis, please listen now. The genesis of that word anointed, that word anointed is the same word as Christ. As Christ. Anointed in the Hebrew is the word mashak. M-A-S-H-A-C-H. Mashak in the Hebrew. When you translate mashak into Greek, you have Christos. So, can we say that Jacob Christed that place? Can we say it like that? Jacob Christed. Make that place Christ. Do you get it? Are you following? Do you understand that? That Jacob Christed that place, that vision that he saw, isn't it? Okay. Now, if that's the case, so we can call that place Christ, can we? Can we call that place Christ? Good. So, so Christ is anointed. The place that Jacob poured oil is also what? Anointed. Right? So it is Christ. Do you agree with that? Thank you. So, <clears throat> so God adopted that word for himself, right? God adopted that word for himself. Now, so what is in that place that Jacob, what is in that place that Jacob anointed? What is there? We see two things. The first thing we see is that there is a seed. Remember that vision? There is a seed. Then we also see a family. We see a seed and we see a family. Now, is that seed a child of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Genesis 28. Child. I thought I'd be running away quickly. Genesis 20. Yes, no, yes, no. Genesis 28. Go back there. What did Jacob see or hear in that vision? Eh? He saw the family of God, right? Now, the family of God comes out from a seed. Abby? Verse 14. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth. Isn't it? So, it comes out of a seed. So, now, and Jacob anointed that seed, right? And we said that we just called that place Christ. Amen? Is the seed a child of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Yes, the answer is yes. Is that seed anointed? Yes, it's anointed. Good. So, now, is that seed going to be responsible for building the house of God? Yes, we have read it now. We've read it. We've read it. I've showed you now. 
So, now, that house, that house, is it going to spread to the west, to the east, to the north, all the earth? Good. Thank you. So, so that seed would build a household. Right. <clears throat> so, the word anointed, please write this down. That the, so, the word anointed comes from this experience. What experience? An experience of building a house for God. The word anointed comes from the family of God. Comes from the family of God. Now, remember, we read that that seed, that seed, what will come out of the seed of Abraham, there will be kings. Remember, there will be kings from the seed of Abraham. Right? Now, so, if there will be kings, the kings will be called anointed. Right? Right? Remember, he anointed the family of God. So, everything that will come out from that place will be anointed. Right? Will be anointed. So, so there will be so in Isaac, in, sorry, in Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, we will have anointed kings. Right? Now, remember that the word anointed means something that is sacred. Something sanctified. Something special. So, so, this seed, this seed, which is the anointed, what we are going to see from this seed is that we are going to see that there will be kings, priests, and prophets that will come out from that seed. Kings, priests, and prophets that will come out from that king, from that seed. So, so let's ask this question. The Christ of the scriptures, the Christ of the scriptures, which Peter was talking about in Matthew 16, would he build an household? Right? Good. Would he build a kingdom? Right? Would that kingdom be established forever? Good. So, all this, where will it happen? On the earth. In other words, it means that God's inheritance is the earth. God wants the earth. Do you know it's funny that we are taught when we got, get born again that we are on our way to heaven. But do you know what is funny? That when you read the closing remarks of the Bible, it's, it's finished on the earth. You, didn't, you have not read it? Take your time and read Genesis 20, I'm sorry, Revelation 20, 21 and 22. God ended the entire, his kingdom, how he closed, how he established his kingdom forever. It, he finished it on the earth. The Bible says, and I saw a city descend from above, right? And came down to the earth. And the light of that city was the lamp. And we stayed with him forever. That city is the church. Are you following? You are not going to heaven. Yes, you are not going to heaven. Say, hey, yes. I will say it again. You are not going to heaven. God, 
does not want you to come to heaven. You are looking at me as if I'm saying something heretic. Go and read it. God. Let me go back to my book. So. <laughs> Second Samuel 7. Do you ever notice that every conversation God had with the men that he chooses, he didn't discuss to them about heaven. It's his work on the earth. Go and read it. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David. Eh? Peter. When Jesus appeared to Peter in John 20, eh? what did he tell Peter? Go to heaven. Say, feed my what? My flock. Feed my sheep. Okay. When you get to heaven, tell me. Have I said heaven is bad? No. If you want to go, go. Are people in heaven now? Yes. Where are we going to see them later? In heaven? No, it's on the earth. Go and read 1 Corinthians 15 too. If the Bible says, mortality will put on immortality. Do you know what that means? You don't know what that means. That means you will have the same body, but it will just be different. Where will that body exist? On earth. Well, that's not my study, Daddy. 2 Samuel 7. 2 <laughs> Samuel 7. Some, some, some people's mind are like, hmm, how, how is he sure? How is he sure? So you mean that that song, Heavenly Race? <laughs> Who knows that song? I know good tire, Heavenly Race. And you want to say, one, two, three. <laughs> Second Samuel 7. Let's begin to close the session. And let's see something. So, Second Samuel 7, verse 12. Second Samuel 7, 12. So he says, the later part of verse 12 says, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So we have an house, listen, and we have a kingdom from that seed. What we can call the seed of David or the seed of Abraham. Right? Okay? Now, the seed of David and the seed of Abraham, is it the seed of, is it the seed of God? Is it the seed of God? Is it the child of the Holy Ghost? Remember, we started, ah, don't sleep, oh, it's the same thing. Okay. So, so look at, if that's the case, in other words, it will mean that this seed has an inheritance, right? Now look at Psalm 2. Let's see something at Psalm 2. In Psalm 2, Psalm chapter 2. Now this Psalm was referred to in Acts chapter 4, verse 23 to 24. We won't go there because of time. But look at Psalm 2. Now in Psalm 2, Verse 1, he says, Why do the 18 rage and the people imagine a vain thing? And the kingdoms and the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against what is anointed. Saying, Now, notice in verse 6, let's go to verse 6. He says, Yet have I set my king 
upon my holy hill of Zion. So notice in Psalm 2 here, we have two kings, two kinds of kings. We have the kings of the earth, right? And we have the one that sits in the heaven. Are you following? Now, that's the first thing I want you to notice. Now look at verse 7. He says, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son this day, have I begotten thee. Now, the word son, can we say that the word son is the same? Can we equate the word son to the word anointed in verse 2? Right? It's the same. So, now can we also call the word, that son there, the Lord? Right? Can we call it the Lord? In verse 2, it says, And the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against the anointed. So, son is the same thing as anointed, same thing as the Lord. Right? Are you following? Okay. Now, <clears throat> now verse 8. Look at verse 8. Acts of me, and I shall give the eighteen for thy inheritance, and the uttermost part of the earth for thy what? Possession. Is this the same thing that God said to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? That the whole earth will, will be his inheritance. Is it the same thing? So, so, which means that the same promise, right? That was said to Abraham, that was said to Isaac, that was said to Jacob, is the same promise that God said to David. Right? It's the same promise. So, that means that the house of David is the house of Jacob. Amen? The house of David is the house of Jacob. It will also be the house of Abraham. Right? It will also be the house of Abraham. So, so if Jesus Christ is the seed of David, can I call what I just call the house of David the house of the Christ? Huh? I can say that. That's the house of the Christ. So, the seed of David, which is Jesus, he would have a kingdom and a family. He will have a kingdom and a family. Now, is this family a family of a tribe or of the nations of the earth? The nations of the earth. In other words, the family of God will not be restricted to a human tribe. So Israel is not the chosen of God. That's where I'm going. The land of Israel is not the chosen of God. Are you with me? Huh? Okay. So if that's the case, <clears throat> now, now go back to Matthew 16. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Verse 18 now. And I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my what? Is that the same statement? Is that the same statement about the seed of Abraham and David? I will build my church. Is that the household? Is that the household? So Matthew tells us that what Jesus says, that I will build my church, is what is called the household of David. The household of what we have been reading from the Old Testament text. Are you seeing that? 
So when Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, he's saying, you are the Christ, the son of Abraham, the son of David, who will build God's house. Are you following? Who will build God's house? Praise God. Praise God. So, go to Matthew 22. Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, verse 42. Let's read from verse 41. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What think ye of the Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him, the son of David. The answer they gave, is it correct? It's correct. It's the right answer. Yeah, at least they got that one right. <laughs> now, look at verse 43. Oh, boy. Sorry. The fan blown right here. Uh, sorry. Verse 43. He says, He said unto them, How then doeth David in spirit call him what? Lord. Saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit down on my right hand till I make thy enemies thy footstool. So Jesus is asking, now Jesus never said he wasn't David's son. That's not what he said. He's asking, how is David, how is he the son of David? Right? How is he his son if he's also the Lord of David? That's what he's asking. So, to understand, to understand this, you would have to understand Peter's confession. When Peter says, you are the son of the living God, is to say that the son of David, right, is the Lord that builds the house of God. That's what he's saying. So Jesus Christ is asking them a question of the deity of the Christ. The one that builds God's house on the earth. Are you with me, guys? Okay. Now, it means that if the Christ builds the house of God, it will mean that the Christ comes, the Christ comes with a ministry and a responsibility. The word Christ is the word, is a function. 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 So, Christ comes with a ministry a function and a responsibility. What is the function and that responsibility? What is the function and that responsibility? This is... So, listen carefully. Every person that comes out, every person that comes out of that seed, will they be anointed? Right? They will be anointed. So, in other words, by the virtue of Christ's work, the man that comes out of Christ is an anointed person. He has a function on the earth. He is also called Christ. He is also called Christ. Christ in what sense? Christ in the sense to carry out 
a function and a responsibility. Not Christ that he died for your sins, no. Not that you are the Christ that died for sins, no. But you are the Christ, right, that functions in a office and a responsibility. Are you following what I'm saying? Huh? Very important. I'm closing. Don't worry. This session is over. Some of you are looking at me like, what's going on? Don't worry. I'm closing. Don't worry. So, so when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, when Jesus was raised from the dead, that is where he built God's house. Notice in that Matthew 16, he now says, I will build my church and the gate of air will not what? Prevail against it. In verse 19, he now says, and I will give unto them what? The keys of the kingdom of heaven. What are the keys of the kingdom of heaven? The word keys is the influence of God's spirit on the earth. Keys are responsibilities. Keys are offices and functions in Christ, in the anointed. The keys are not for personal things. They're not for personal things. They're not for personal things. So that means that in the anointed, I am going to see a function. I am going to see a responsibility in the anointed. Are you there? Christ is called the anointed and he builds other anointed. He builds other anointed. And when he builds other anointed, he gives them the keys of the kingdom. Don't you see it? That when Jesus Christ came, listen, he is called the savior that takes away sins, right? When he is raised from the dead, he tells his disciples, whatsoever sin you remit, is remitted. He pleases the function of the saving grace in the hands of other anointed. Do you understand? So the keys of the kingdom is the preaching of the gospel. Because that is what saves. Are you with me, guys? Let me show you. John 20. John 20. John chapter 20. Quickly. John 20. Verse 20. And, he, and when he said, when, and when he had, had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his sides. They, then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I, I you. Verse 23, whatsoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whatsoever sins you retain, they are retained. This is the preaching of the gospel. This is the influence of God's spirit. This is the keys of the kingdom. Man today, the believer today, can determine who gets saved and who doesn't. Via the preaching of the gospel. That is the responsibility of the Savior. 
So God calls us into that same office. So that means the believer must definitely see himself as such a one who is not ordinary. God has made you a custodian of the souls of men. That is the authority of the kingdom. That you will have control over the spare of a man's soul. That's it. That is the keys of the kingdom. Because that is the work of the Savior. He delivers. Sorry, sir. Sorry, sir. He delivers. He takes. That's what Jesus does. He takes men that have been in the holds of Satan. He now calls believers into that office. The office of the anointed. The anointed ones. Who is called the house of God. Are you with me? So when he says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, Upon this rock I will build my church. He's not, he's not saying something new. He's saying what he has been promising. He's, that is, this is Yahweh. Yahweh. This is Yahweh talking. People say, Jesus is not God. Jesus is not. No! They misunderstood it. The same statement that the God in the Old Testament said, that I will make a family upon the earth. Jesus came and embodied it. He said, I will say it too. So it's wrong to say Jesus is not God. No. What, see, all the conversations, hear this and write this down, you can study it later. All the conversations that God spoke in the Old Testament, when Jesus came, he said it. I'm not saying what the prophet said. Though. What God said, Jesus came and he also said it. Are you following? Praise God. <laughs> so, because, you see, who is the one that forgives sins? God. But if it's God that forgives sins, how come he now gives man such ability via the preaching of the gospel? It means that he's telling man to come into a sphere of supernatural influence. Are you listening? That is why you cannot order treat or the treat the gospel. You cannot say, "Let us mix the gospel." You can't, because if you try it, you damage the soul of a man. You damage the soul of a man. If the Savior will save forever, the preaching of the gospel is to cause that thing to happen to that man. So we are called into an office of the anointed. Are you, are you seeing what I'm talking about, brothers and sisters? So God forgives sins and tells you, Oliver, I'm calling you to forgive sins. It's not, it's not pride. No, it is the work of the Savior that has been given to you. You have inherited it. Don't you see it? I will teach it maybe tomorrow. When the Bible says, you are joint heirs with Christ. The inheritance of God is not money, oh. Oh, we are joint heirs. Glory. It's good. Be excited. But that inheritance, is souls, the preaching of the gospel, is the whole earth. The whole earth. 
That is our office. If you see yourself otherwise from that, you are a joker. You don't understand the ministry of the Spirit. You don't understand it. Are you following what I'm talking about? <laughs> see, in Micah, God says, I will bury your sins. I will throw your sin. Micah chapter 7. I will throw your sins in the deep oceans and you will never remember it anymore. God now puts it in the mouth of his saints. Go and tell the world. So if you don't preach, don't you understand that the judgment of the saints, eh? that's why you see that the judgment of the saints is a critical one. It's not about going to hell. Forget. See, if you are here and you are still afraid of hell, grow spiritually. The conversations of the saints, we don't converse about the dangers of hell. We don't, we know our business. What we converse is the danger of not preaching. The parables of the kingdom, you did not see it. In the parables of the kingdom, when Jesus came, right, and gave the guy five, he multiplied five, he got ten. Gave the guy three, he multiplied three, he got six. The guy that he gave one, what did he say? He said, hey, well, how can you give me one? What did God tell him? God said, even if you don't want to walk with it, at least put it in a bank. Let it grow interest. You see, that is a parable to illustrate that when ministry is given to some and they do not work at it, they will be judged. You don't like this message? It's the gospel. Praise God. So, God, listen, I'm closing. Don't worry. I've said, how many times have I said that? I'm closing. Don't worry. I'm done. Praise God. So, listen, I want you to, I want you to see that in this conference, this is my prayer for you, that in this conference, your eyes will be open to your inheritance in the Father, the office of the anointed. You see, when you understand the office of the anointed, you will realize why. Sin, right? Sin is not something that you should be struggling with. Are you getting what I'm saying? You see, because what is operating within you is the spirit of grace. Are you getting what I'm saying? What is working in you is higher than the power of sin. So, it's not about, let us, let, us, uh, let us come to the altar. No, 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 no. If you are still coming to the altar to forgive sin, grow spiritually. Amen? God has kept his spirit in you so that he will continue to carry out the work of the Savior on the earth. Habakkuk. Is it Habakkuk? No, it's Amos. He prophesied. He said, and saviors shall judge Edom. He's talking about sons of God, new creations. New creations. Say, no, don't call me savior. I'm not the savior. You are a savior. Hallelujah. So I, I, I pray. I really pray for you that in, this, in these meetings that, you know, you would, you would know what was given to us. Because you see, this meeting, let me tell you the goal of this meeting. Let me tell you the goal of my message. is for the mission of the church. 
I'm praying that you will have clarity to know the plans and purpose of God for your life. That you will step out of catatismos and every individual you meet, you understand that God has committed his soul to your hands. This is what it means to change the world. You, this is what it means to, that's why we cannot preach the gospel and you say, um, you are doing drama. You want to preach the gospel, you are doing, um, um, I arise, I come, I go, I go. You are doing all those nonsense. Who is going to get saved? Who is going to get saved? Who is going to know eternity? Amen? How many of you are laughing? Is it truth? You cannot go and pick the gospel and say, eh, just come the way you are. Oga, repent. He's not come the way you are. He's not come the way you are. Accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Amen? Say the gospel, mm, mm, mm. the gospel gives us separation. In the gospel, there are warnings. Abi? There are instructions, there are warnings. Hallelujah. Praise God. So I'm praying that by Saturday, eh, you will have a worldview. God's own worldview. The global vision of God. You will look at the whole earth and you say, this is mine. Amen. That's it all. Amen. Let's stand up and pray. Praise God. Pray for yourself. <laughs> Hallelujah.